This is The Fabric Podcast. Our place. This world feels like it's in trouble. For a healthy, sustainable environment, we need to learn our place within it, not over it. In this episode, Greg Meyer offers a hopefully more inspiring than challenging vision of our place. I'm Greg Meyer. Good morning. It is great to be with you all today and for the next couple of weeks talking about our place and we get to do it in this place which is pretty amazing place to be here we are at Minnehaha Park with the falls where the Minnehaha Creek then runs into the the Mississippi River just right over there and then that joins with the Minnesota River just a little ways downstream at a place that the Dakota have known forever as Bedote they have revered and they have lived in um, for a long, long time until they got pushed off by others and land taken away from them. And, um, you know, I, I, I mentioned that, well, one, is because it's important, and two, because what happened to the Dakota people in this place is a pretty strong parallel to what is happening to our world, to the environment, from human beings. Very similar kind of experience. I mean, here we are as human beings, we live on this earth with all of its wonder, its beauty, its endless variety and potential, and we're pushing it all out. Um, and, and that isn't good. It's not good for us. It's not good for the rest of the world. It's just not the way it should be. That, so here, here's what this is all about. We haven't found our place in this world. We haven't found our place in this world, or perhaps we sort of think we have found our place meaning that we think this is our place, like it belongs to us. Yeah, but, but it doesn't. I mean, it, it, it doesn't. Um, it, and living that way isn't going to work. Um, this is our place, meaning, you know, it is the place that we are in, right? It is a place where we are. There is no other place for us to go. There is no planet B, so to speak. What we need here is a sustainable way of being here that not only allows for us and for all life and all systems to survive, but to actually be able to thrive. And that is going to require us figuring out and living into our place. And that is possible. Now, we know there's the ecological crisis going on, and I'm not going to deny that. I mean, in fact, that's why I want to talk about this. We can't turn back the clock. We can't undo the damage. We can't stop the momentum that is sliding against us that we've already created. But we can weave ourselves back into the world rather than out of the world. And, and as we do that, we are able to give our planet time to catch its breath and to give it the space to do what our planet knows how to do so well, and that is to make space for that creative life to be going on. Um, you know, Jesus is often seen as only talking about religious things, but he's always talking about the whole big picture. And I think Jesus was talking about exactly what we're talking about when he, when he gave this parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in a field. It is the smallest of all the seeds But when it is grown, it becomes the greatest of bushes and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air make nests in its branches. Now, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, he is not talking about some otherworldly afterlife. No, Jesus, very consistently, when he talked about the kingdom of heaven, Jesus was talking about this world right now when we live in it in ways that honor the truth of the existence that we are a part of, and we live into that. Um, 
what he's saying is that we have seeds in our hands right now, along with a lot of other stuff that is filling our hands. But when we plant these seeds and when we nurture them and we watch them grow, things happen. So we've got these seeds. We can nurture them. We can watch them grow. We can find our place in this world. That's what he's telling us, right? These, these small things, the things that you think you can do, the places that we can live are, are it. Now, to do this, to find our place, what I want to talk about today are two complementary truths that we need to both realize and we need to begin to actualize, right? We need to hold on to them. And the first is this. The first is that this world is finite. Finite. That means it's limited. That means it, um, it's exhaustible. We could use it up. And it's easy to lose sight of that because we think that what we do doesn't matter. It's easy for us to think that what we do doesn't matter because, after all, we're so small and what, you know, what difference do I make and and, uh, you know, so that's just kind of not something we need to worry about. For, million, for millennia, human beings have been able to just keep expanding, just keep moving and doing it. There's always been a, another frontier. If one place got too crowded or too messed up, you just moved on to the next one. And that was okay because there was always more. You know, we had the mantra, go west, young man, go west. And they could. And they did. And it worked. The planet always had more room, more capacity, more minerals, more water, just plain more. But gradually, the West Coast got reached. And gradually, all the space in between it, the West Coast and the East Coast got filled in. And gradually, all those inexhaustible forests actually got cut. And gradually, all those great shoals of endless fish out in the ocean got netted until their numbers collapsed. And we started to realize that we were using this world up. Now, a lot of historians mark the point where humanity began to get it in their heads that we were using up our world when the first astronauts and cosmonauts about 70 years ago went off into space. The first time in probably over a million years of human life that there has ever been the ability to look back and see planet Earth, our planet, our place. And pretty universally, all those astronauts looked and said, wow, it is really little. It is a small fragile place. And, and all those boundaries, all those lines with labels and stuff that we see in our maps and on our globes, they're not on there. In fact, they kind of feel meaningless. You know, it, it, it's a, such a different thing. What all they could see was a single entity, the planet Earth that all of us share. Now, the world is finite. The, the other complementary truth to that that we need to recognize and we need to embrace is that the world is one. Now, I know the world is one like we only have one. Um, there is not an alternative, but that's not what I mean by that. What I mean by the world is one is that it is all interconnected. It is a unity. It is inseparable. It is a system. There is nothing here, nothing in our place that doesn't affect everything else. And we've missed that. Just like we missed the, the limitedness of our planet, we've also missed the unity, the oneness of our planet. We, as human beings, have a tendency to see ourselves as separate, apart from the rest of the world, perhaps even standing over the rest of the world. In fact, we've become accustomed um, to talking about humankind and nature, humankind and creation. Since when is humankind not part of nature? Like, what, we get a get-out-of-jail-free card or something like that? Um, 
We also uh, do a funny linguistic thing. We talk about natural resources. We talk about, you know, like our forests and our water and the plants and the animals are resources. What, so they don't exist for their own sake. They only exist in order to fill needs we have. That's why they're there. They don't have their own existence. They aren't part of something beyond ourselves. I mean, we need language that actually reflects our relationship with our partners on this planet if this planet is going to thrive. Our place, this planet, is finite and it is one. And I don't know what that stirs up in you. Many people uh, say that it makes it feels scary to them to think about that. It worries them. It feels like scarcity. It feels like limitation. It feels like it's upending our favored position on the planet. And they don't like that. But it doesn't need to feel that way. That this world is finite is the key to helping us claim our place here. It can help us turn from trying to make things work to being part of making things work or of how things work. Let me repeat that. It can be the turning point for us to go from trying to make things work to being part of how things work. And those are a very different relationship to this place that we share with all things. So the world is finite. And it is one, is finite, but there is enough if we become part of the one. It's like imagining a line. I know this is a chunk of a garden hose, but all right. But imagine this as a line. No matter how long or short this is, if you're traveling along it, and I don't care how fast or slow, sooner or later, you will get to the other end. You will have run it out. You will have used it up. But if you turn this into a circle, it is still the same amount, right? It is still the same finite piece of hose, but it has no end. It's because now you are part of its system. You are part of its creating and refreshing itself. You have become a part of it, not just a user of it. And that is what we need to learn. Finite in one, that is a world that is as big and as wonderful as we need it to be now to find our place. Think about the astronauts on the International Space Station. They look down on a planet. Do they see any of us? No. But do they see all of us? Yes. They see us not as individuals, but as what we have added to this world. Uh, you know, I, I think we fight this idea of being lost in the world. We, we want to have our own legacy. We want to have, make our own mark in the world. We want to stand out. We want to be something. Maybe, maybe we fear that if we aren't noticed that we don't matter. Without your love, without your care, without your hopes, without your dreams, without your actions in this world, you would be a different world. Whether they're all noticed or not, you know? Whether your life is a chapter heading on in a book or just one of the, one of the words on a page. It's what made the story. It's what makes it a whole. It's what makes it matter. Uh, there's something seductive about being apart from rather than part of. But, you know, while your uniqueness is very real and very important, your idea of being separate is an illusion. We all have to just get used to the fact that the idea that we are separate from is an illusion. We are part of the world, inextricably tied to everything else. We only have life because we are part of, we are connected to everything for no other reason whatsoever. 
and our efforts to be separate, to exist on our own or for our own sake, are destroying our world, and they are destroying our own lives, which depend on that interconnectedness. Now, the point of that is this. The long-term answer to life on our planet is not going to rely on technology or any of our efforts to manipulate the environment to accommodate our desire to dominate the planet. But it's going to come in our facing up to the fact that we need to become part of it. We need to find our place here. Now, that doesn't mean that technology and innovation don't have a part in finding our place. It means that we use it to help us be in our place rather than to avoid it. It means that we face up to the consequences of any and all of our actions and that we value all parts of this world for their own sake, for their part in the larger world, including their part in our lives. We are all connected. The algae in the ocean, the moth on the prairie, the mouse in your basement, the frog in the wetlands, the bee in your garden, they all tug on strings that sooner or later tug on us. And ours tug on them. And we are part of, not apart from, the world. Now, to care for the world in this way is not romantic. It is not just a sentimental notion. No, it's science. I mean, basically, it's also spiritual. I mean, there is no faith tradition, no wisdom tradition out there that doesn't see this oneness, this unity of all things as a core part of of how it looks at the world and looks at our lives. And the Bible is no exception. But we have turned the teachings of the Bible into a human-centered, human, I would even say a, a human-isolated moral code system that's all about do's and don'ts. It was never meant to be that way. Uh, a, a perfect example is the notion of sin. What, what is sin? sin? Sin is when you do something wrong, right? There's a rule that, that something, you know, God established that is wrong. You're not supposed to do that. And if you do that, or if it's something you're supposed to do and you don't do it, then you broke it and you, you, that, was, that was a sin. Like, sin and that way of thinking is an act. But that isn't what sin is at all. Sin isn't something that you do or don't do. Sin is a condition. Sin is, a, is a, um, a state that we live in in relationship to all that is. It is the state, sin is a state of being broken, of being separated from ourselves and from one another, from the world, from, from God and all that is in our world. And, and that's what we need to realize. It is not those uh, wrongdoings, those wrongdoings, things that we label as sins. Those are the, what, the consequences. Those are the places, the symptoms of the fact that we live in this broken condition that we then do. So um, the, the truth is that there are no arbitrary, there are no whimsical do's and don'ts out there that we're supposed to do or not do. There are simply things that work and things that do not work. There are ways of being part of this community of all things, and there are ways of being apart from this community of all things. Now, another religious term that has gotten misunderstood, that is really key to zeroing in on this, right, is this word righteous. I mean, what does righteousness mean? To be righteous is what? To be better than other people, right? It's to not have broken any of the rules. It's to be a good Christian, a good Muslim, a good Buddhist, a good Jew, a good whatever it might happen to be. To be righteous is not that, though. To be righteous is to be in a right relationship with that which really is. That's what it means. 
To be righteous isn't an individual moral achievement. It is an alignment with all that is, with creation, with ourselves, with the world, and with that third strand of the weaving of life that is often thought of as God. So, follow me on this. If being apart from this world is our brokenness, then being part of this world is our reconciliation. And the grace that this world has in its expansive way of creating and recreating and innovating around life is a path of forgiveness. It's a path towards restoring. It is a path towards becoming one once again. It's not about the things. It's about the relationship. You've heard me say it a thousand times around a thousand subjects, and I'll say it again. It's always all about relationships. So what to do about our crime is climate crisis. It's here. We can't wish away the damage that's already done, we can't, but we can avoid the worst, and we can give our planet space to breathe and do what it does so well, and um, that is adapt to life. So something important to note as we try to remember that, and we try to hold on to that, and we try to build on that the next couple weeks, and that is this. Our world is finite, but its possibilities are infinite. Just think about it. This planet that we live on began as a chunk of hot rock. And somehow it has gone from there to this, to this place that is teeming with oceans and with air to breathe, with uh, life and so much life of variety and abundance that it just boggles our mind. We can't even imagine it all. Being part of that is not only essential, it is something, meaning something we have to do, it is also preferable. It is where we really want to be. And we have no idea how good it will be for us human beings and for the countless other species and systems that are impacted by what we do when we begin to be doing that. And we start participating in what this planet is able to do and we stop cutting it off. But we have to get there. And that change is going to be hard. And there's going to be a lot of loss involved in making those transitions from being apart from this planet to being part of it again. I mean, one industry doesn't give way to another industry without a lot of loss involved of, with change and people falling through the cracks. One pattern of life, I don't know, transportation, housing, diet, shopping, they don't give way to another without causing some kinds of disruption. So we're going to need to do this together. We're going to need to care for each other, share the burden, leaving no one behind. It's going to test our resolve. It's going to test our creativity, our resilience, our patience, our generosity, all things that are essential for us human beings to learn to be good at. What Paul, um, you know, he, who was trying to sum up the life of Jesus and tell other people about it, he, he said, there are these fruits of the Spirit. And let me translate with that. The fruits of the Spirit mean people who are living in line with how God put this world together, how this all works, they tend to, what? Produce these fruits. These things tend to grow up in them. He listed them. He said they're love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Sounds like the Mark's of a person who's living in tune with 
this place that we all share to me. Folks, um, we can do this. In fact, we have to do this, and I, I, I believe we want to do this. It, it's, a, it's growing the kingdom of heaven, the fabric of the universe, in our midst with seeds that we have in our hands already. And how do we plant them? Well, we're going to be talking about that the next couple of weeks here at the falls. And so I invite you to dig into that with us as we do it. Next week, uh, Brenda Caselius is going to be joining me. Um, if you don't know her, she's an amazing woman. She was assistant superintendent of Minneapolis Public Schools, and then she was the secretary of education for the entire state of Minnesota. Then she was out as a superintendent of Boston Public Schools, and now she's back here in Minneapolis again, and she is the executive director of Fresh Energy, an organization that is helping us speed our path towards an equitable and a clean energy world um, that is good for our communities and good for our economy. And she has so much expertise. I've known Brenda for a long time. And when I was digging into this, I said, I'd really like you to be a part of this conversation. And she said, Greg, I would love to be a part of it. And I really want to talk about our kids in K-12 education. Because how we do that is going to be so key to how we make this transition. Uh, so come and join us. If you're a parent, if you're a kid, if you care about our kids, if you're looking for you know, your own ways of how we put all this together and how we as a society are beginning to put those pieces together, Come and join us next week for that conversation and bring someone along, someone who needs to hear this. The following week on September 3rd, we're going to be talking about this, how this change happens in real time in our lives. And, and what is, the, there's, there seems to be a roadblock that continues to trip us up on, in our sense of vision and our persistence towards this path, towards becoming part of all things. So we're going to talk about that and, and how we get past that and how we don't fall into its trap. Spoiler alert. It has something to do with relationships, but there's more to it than that. So um, join us for that as well. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for more connection in your life, stay up to date with what's going on with Fabric and find resources to help you in your conversations and reflection at fabricmpls.com or searching Fabric MPLS on social media. Let us know if there are conversations you're longing to start or resources you're longing for to help you live a life more deeply woven.